On today's episode, managing forefoot pain with Brody and Pat. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default, become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. finally going to get an update on what my foot condition is like. If if you're not one of those listeners that um, just follows episode to episode, um, I did mention probably about two months ago that I was suffering from this foot pain and was giving you updates on how it's going episode by episode. And then I managed to, well, I guess um, I stopped informing everyone on how it was going uh, just because I didn't have any new updates and decided to eventually do a um, episode on foot pain. But then I heard that um, Patrick McNamara, who co-hosts That's Running with um, his mate Mike, uh, he did an episode on four foot pain because he's undergoing his own uh, foot issues. And so I reached out to him and said, um, this is a perfect alignment of bad circumstances, uh, come on, let's talk about our foot pain and decide to put together an episode. And that's all I have to say. Um, we delve into the rest throughout the episode. If you don't have four foot pain, if you've never had four foot pain, um, it's still nice to learn about it. Um, one for prevention and two, if it does arise, you know, uh, exactly what to do. And so you'll learn all of this throughout this episode. Um, Once again, it was a blast having Pat on. If you want to go to his podcast, That's Running, I'll include all the links in the show notes as well as his episode on forefoot pain. And we'll take it from there. Without further ado, let's bring on Pat. Pat, thanks once again for joining me on the Run Smarter podcast. Thanks, Brody. Thanks for having me. I love chatting to you. You get it. (laughs) (laughs) It's good um, finding the small group of people that actually get get it. And um, I'll delve into your podcast in a second. Oh, potentially at the end of the episode. Um, but for those who aren't too familiar, uh, do you want to just uh, introduce yourself and um, give a brief little intro? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, I, so my name is Pat. I'm in Sydney. I'm a runner. I am a physiotherapist and I've got my own podcast uh, with my colleague, Mike, which is called That's Running. And uh, uh, not too dissimilar to Brody in this podcast, we talk about runners, running injuries, but um basically how not to be dumb and stupid and hurt yourself. Uh, but coming at that from a um, physio and a, and a running point of view, um, that's me. That's what I do. I love my 5Ks up to my ultra marathons, 100 miles, anything. I just love running and it, it's kind of consuming my life in a good way. I yeah. love it. And so me nice. and Brody chatting today. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, this is sort of, it's timed really nicely because 
I haven't done an episode on four foot pain yet. And I was trying to think of how I would eventually do one. And the last couple of months I've had four foot pain. I'm like, Oh, maybe I just talk about my experiences and talk about my, um, my stuff to do with foot pain and then listening to your podcast. And there was an episode called four foot pain. And I'm like, Oh, interesting. And the topic of discussion was really nice, which we'll go through in a second, you having your own issues with foot pain and thought it'd be great to have you jump on. And I talk about my experience, you talk about your experience, and we learn about foot pain all along the way. How does that sound? Yeah, 100%. I think there's many, many things to pick up here. Yeah. And I think similar to what you suggested in your episode, I don't really know a lot about um, the, the forefoot and that sort of pain it's not necessarily something i see that often and if i do it's someone who has been like maybe diagnosed with a stress fraction has come to me like maybe months down the track after being diagnosed and so i'm not necessarily um too honed in on experience and someone who has pain say at the top of their foot um i can usually diagnose to some sort of tendon or um, issues but it's not something that I would say I am very confident in, but you said that you've done your own individual um, research, I guess, now that you've had your own four foot pain. And do you care to share, like if someone does have four foot pain, what a potential diagnosis could be or what structures are we looking at? Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, what just came up for me then is we should probably identify what the four foot is. And that's sure. what we're talking yes, about, like the, the portion of the foot, which is like, closer to your toes right so i guess it includes your, your toes your, your toe joints like the ball of your foot say through to probably where where the arch of your foot is so we're not talking about your heel or your ankle or your achilles we're talking about all the stuff near your toes and the ball of your foot um so so yeah i i ran into some forefoot pain about three months ago and um similar to Brody, i'm like oh cool my foot hurts what is it <laughs> i just didn't really know uh, what it is and the reason for that is it's a very complicated area of your foot you've got like way more bones and joints and ligaments and tendons than you'd think would be there it's not like you have your ankle and one or two bones in your foot you've got well there'd be what there'd be like 20 or 30 bones in your foot right like it's no 30 i think there's 32 bones in your foot maybe Mm -hmm. and those bones all interact so intricately and closely together they have fascia underneath it the plantar fascia you've probably heard of they have ligaments tendons and muscles all that act kind of somehow miraculously cohesively to allow us to like land on our foot like take our body weight on our foot and then somehow propel our body weight off our foot like it's a really fantastic part of the body i was actually going to like considering studying podiatry at one point because i just think the foot is phenomenal the way it works um so when you i guess when you injure your foot right the most common thing and the most serious thing would be a stress fracture or, or a bone stress right and they're they they follow a pretty common pattern they're pretty pretty easy to pick up as a clinician it's um commonly on the the fifth metatarsal the outside of your foot or or even in through the first and second as well there's you can get other bits of bone stress as well but they'd be the ones that you i guess are the most serious right the most the one that could go the most wrong if you keep running through it i suppose um so that would be the first thing i'd like kind of try and rule out right would you agree or disagree with that yeah, hundred percent. It's like the, it's what all runners dread the most having a, a stress fracture because they know that as soon as it is accurately diagnosed, a stress fracture means, you know, the, the management's so different to any other injury. It's time off. It's mm. sometimes cast, it's sometimes crutches. And 
yeah, it's not as simple as if it's a plantar fasciitis, then you can pretty much manage and continue to um, just tweak your running program, you could say. Um, so yeah, definitely the most serious. Yeah. And there's, I think with most, most running injuries, you can keep running to some extent. Like you said, you just got to tweak it, modify, reduce it, whatever. But when we're talking bone stress, it's like, no, you stop today and you're probably going to be stopped for at least six weeks. Um, so it's quite a serious thing. So that's why you have to get ruled in or out straight away. I think the next thing would probably be uh, something called your plantar plate. So your plantar plate is a ligament or a series of ligaments that kind of connect your, your metatarsals, so the long bones in your foot, to your toes. And it wraps underneath your foot. And it, it's, it's a ligament that's quite uh, crucial to the structural integrity of your foot. So imagine you're wearing high heels and your toes are bent up, like bent backwards because your, your heels are raised. So imagine you're in high heels, your plantar plate is under stretch in that position. Or when you're running, it's when you go to push off your toes that your plantar plate gets stretched. So that, if that gives you an idea of where the plantar plate lies. You, it's, a, it's a somewhat common injury to get an irritation or an overload or a tear of your plantar plate. And that is probably the other big one, which is like, oh, you really need to get on top of that quickly because the plantar plate is, is so crucial in terms of the structural integrity of your foot. What you, you're looking down the, down the barrel of permanent damage to your foot if you keep running through a plantar plate injury without knowing the severity of it. So that would be the other thing which I'd be super mindful of. They are very tricky to diagnose hands-on, like just by you know, palpating and poking and prodding and moving and testing. They're very difficult to manage. So if there's a suspicion of a bit of a plantar plate injury or you think there might be a tear or a rupture to it, you've got to get that MRI'd because um, that's the other thing. So so they're, they're probably the two things that are high on my list. Um, when I had my foot pain about three months ago, it was almost definitely a combination of bone stress and or a plantar plate issue. I, I didn't get mine scanned because the severity of mine wasn't that bad. Um, it was something that I knew I had to deload and I knew I had to get off my foot for a while. I actually took four weeks off running and my symptoms got like 80% better. Um, and because of that, I was happy enough not to get an MRI. But if my symptoms weren't improving or if the pain was there with walking or even pain at rest, I would go straight to get an MRI. And so that's kind of how I looked at mine. So, so my, my forefoot pain, which is now like, let's say, 90% better three months mm -hmm. later it's still there but it's probably 90% better it's probably a combination of bone stress and plantar plate issues but yeah. um, because I was able to manage it well and monitor my load and change and take care of my symptoms I didn't end up getting it scanned okay I guess the other structures that are probably worth mentioning you do have a whole bunch of tendons that pass over the top of the foot but they're not necessarily going to be overloaded in running we mainly like load the tendons and ligaments of the like underneath your foot rather than at the top of your foot. But I, I tend to get some people having irritated tendons at the top of their foot, just from like friction or compression or whether they've changed their shoelaces or done their shoes up too tight, or um, maybe they've changed like terrain or how they're running or something that can get sometimes irritated. And then you're just looking at all the little muscles inside the foot that could potentially be strained or potentially have some overloaded issue. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, and those, the, all those injuries you just mentioned are less serious. And usually it's a couple of tweaks and we can keep running through them or around them for sure. Yeah. Um, 
another one would be a new Roma, right? So a right. new Roma and particularly a Morton's new Roma is basically a bundle of nerve tissue that live in between the joints on the ball of your foot. You usually get it around the second and third toe. So a Morton's neuroma, you'd you'd be suspicious if someone has that, if they're complaining of like tingling and lightning and electricity going down into their toes or like a numbness in their toes. Um, That's when you suspect a Morton's neuroma. When you're looking at that, you're looking at all sorts of things. Like the first thing would be like, are your shoes just too tight around the ball of your foot? Um, Are you getting some like, I suppose, like long-term overuse symptoms through the front of your foot? Um, how can we change this? Can we offload it? Do you get a short-term orthotic? There are a few different things you can do for that. Um, but that's kind of how you, I'd suspect a neuroma if someone's talking about um, symptoms going down into their toes. Yeah, summarised really well. And like you said, there's like a space. If you can imagine there's like a space in between every toe where um, the nerves can sort of branch out into. And if there's an irritation of those nerves, it's usually due to some... I guess compression or overuse if the, if say your toe box in your shoe is too tight or if you're doing your shoelaces up too tight and then you decide to go for a run I guess the the base of the toes or the bones in between the toes are like compressed and maybe rubbing maybe causing some sort of friction which the nerve obviously won't like and can definitely produce pain but might have some associated symptoms of pins and needles numbness that's usually like all that electric shock that's usually accompanied if there's some sort of nerve involvement. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. What was your foot injury, Brody? Uh, well, I'll delve into that in a second, but you did mention oh, your... Yeah, delve into it now. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk to you because you're mentioning the severity, I guess, of your, your foot pain and how it's come about and it's about 95% better now. Can you talk us through your training at the time of that foot issue coming up because I think there's a couple of lessons to be learned there. And then we can talk through um, how management went. Yeah, I was, uh, I was an invincible runner. Last <laughs> I like all of us. I, uh, <laughs> so I, with the whole COVID situation and running events being canceled uh, myself and, a, and a kind of a bunch of people in my local running community really got into um, long distance running like we're talking oh let's just go for a 60 kilometer run on the weekend or let's let's go run 80 k's to the pub and then have a beer and then we were doing <laughs> stuff like that so so no real like official sanctioned events just these big long days out um, and for the most part i was doing it really well i was probably the fittest i've ever been really strong like injury free life was good did a 78 kilometer run and that in sydney that was from where were we from Manly to Palm Beach and back. That was a fantastic day. And again, I, I got through that, no worries. The next day I was skipping around, like literally feeling fine. And then it would have been seven days after. So for the following weekend, still feeling great. I did a 73 kilometer run and that was from Coogee to Manly in Sydney. Now that was a 73 K run. And at the start line, I felt bloody great, but about 20 Ks in, I, I guess I, I just felt like this awareness of the ball of my foot underneath my foot. And I went, Oh, okay. I can feel that. It's not painful, but it just feels odd. And I noticed it was definitely worth running uphill. And then probably 30 K in, I was like, okay, maybe that's painful. 40 Ks in. I was like, okay, I have pain in my foot, but the finish line's 30 Ks away. And the pain wasn't that bad. I was just, I was still able to run. Um, but by the time I was about five Ks from the finish, so 
65, 70k in. I was, yeah, I was hobbling and limping and it was very sore. Got to the end, took my shoes off and it was a struggle to walk the rest of that day. Um, and yeah, one thing that became apparent was having cushion under my foot was really good and being barefoot was really bad and anything uphill was very sore. And when I had, so basically I ran through foot pain for 50 Ks. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, so I, I, I think over the next couple of days, it was really sore and just really uncomfortable to walk. And um, as it settled over the following two, three, four days, it did become apparent there was some, some bone stress there and um, definitely an overload of my plantar plate. Um, now, I never had any throbbing night pain, which would probably indicate more of a bone stress fracture. So I never had that. It was just sore with direct impact and pressure. And it was sore any time I like, bent my toes up, like walking uphill. So I just, what, what kind of made sense to me was to limit direct pressure onto it and limit walking uphill. And slowly but surely, my foot did settle down. Um, I, I did see, actually went and saw a podiatrist who's a good friend of mine. I just went and saw it and got his opinion. And he basically said the same thing. He said, you can go and get an x-ray and ultrasound because they're free and you can do that and just rule out other stuff, but they're pretty non-sensitive. So I knew that it probably wouldn't have told me much. It would have told me there was swelling and edema at my foot, which I already knew. So I didn't get any of those sort of things, but it was always in the back of my mind that if it did not settle down over like two or three or four weeks, then I would be, you know, going and get an MRI to look at it. But so what I did, the best thing I did, the best thing, and this isn't a big, I should be sponsored by Hopper. So the best mm. thing I did was buy a pair of Hoppers because it actually does two things. They're so cushioned. They just, you just can't feel the ground when you're the hoppers. There's so much cushion there. And they are built on a, on a rocker platform, which means your toes basically do less work. They're supported and the shoe itself rocks as opposed to you pushing through your toes. So initially when I was in pain and standing and walking, and because I'm a physio for my work, I have to stand and walk all day. I, uh, I bought a pair of hoppers and initially, like, man, they made such a difference at work. I was able to stand and walk pain-free. And then about after about a month off running, I started running and I started running in hoppers only. And I noticed that in hoppers, I had like mild symptoms, but in any other shoe, it was like pretty sore. And I, I got that feeling that I shouldn't be running. But if I put hoppers on, it was actually okay. So then I kind of entered this like month of kind of doing and throwing of like, doing a bit of running like most of it was in hoppers and had mild symptoms and most of the time it was okay and it was tolerable but then sometimes i'd be like oh i just did a little bit too much and it would be how much what was your mileage just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know i have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury the sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. If you if you started running, let's say you bought the hawkers and now you're going to start running in the hawkers, what what was your initial mileage? Oh, very little. Like where I, I've got a treadmill at the clinic, so it would be I'm going to just run for one kilometer on the treadmill and see how that goes. And it was like, I, do, I did that a couple of times. And then I did like a three kilometer treadmill run. And it was always like, I could feel it. Like I was aware of my foot, but I would, wouldn't say it was like super painful. And then I started to do some outdoor runs, just five and six K runs. And it was always towing that line of like, 
oh, is this painful? Is it just mm. in my head? Am I thinking about it? I was definitely always conscious of it, but being very mindful not to push into that realm of like, oh, shit, this is painful. So I just very gradually brought my mileage up, but that was always being quite responsive to my symptoms, I suppose. So the way I look at it is run a kilometre. How did that go? Okay, maybe we can do a bit more, run three, run five, run seven Ks, and always just checking in, being like, how did that go? Did I tolerate that? level of load or was that too much and i i would bump up my load and whenever i felt symptoms i was like cool that was too much i'll just pull it back a little bit and i kind of did that for a month for six weeks uh, and then just while i was doing that my symptoms were getting better and better and better and i was able to run more and more and more and i'm at the point where yesterday i yesterday i just ran 40 k's on hilly trail which should smash your feet up and i'm like i'm pretty good today like i barely feel it so yeah. that's why I'm like 90, that's why I'm like 90% better, not hundred percent better. Uh, there, any, but, um, yeah. Is there any inkling that you want to start transitioning out of the hockers and into, into your previous running shoes? I did that today. So yeah, okay. yesterday was 40, 40 K in hockers. And today I just ran in a regular pair of shoes and I only ran six kilometers and and again, I barely felt my foot at all. But there is still that little awareness that there, there's something there, there's something lingering, but I would definitely not call it pain, but it, there's something there. So again, I'm, I'm looking at this as maybe another month of it lingering and then hopefully it'll be fully gone. Yeah, because you so are yeah, noticing am, yeah. the, um, the week by week symptoms are like settling. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. And there's been many, many hiccups along the way, but I've been able to manage those hiccups pretty well. Okay. How about outside of running? You said that you're essentially wearing the hockers at work for as a bit of protection and offloading, you could say. Um, anything else that you've implemented to, to help with the foot pain? Yeah, I tried uh, a couple of, um, not, not an orthotic, but I tried putting things in my shoes and, and strapping my toes up. So, there is a, a certain uh, type of strapping you can do for your foot, which will prevent your toes from bending upwards. So essentially reducing the strain on your, your uh, plantar plate. So it's, it's um, they call it like a, the ribbon strapping or the ribbon tape cool. um, for the plantar plate. And I did that and freaking hell, it was uncomfortable. And I almost think it hurt more. So okay. I tried that and it didn't really work that well for me. So I stopped doing that and I had a, um, uh, what we call like a metatarsal dome under under my foot as well. And that kind of helps offload it a little bit. But that was really it for the first kind of week. I tried all that stuff. I didn't really love it. Um, but knowing it was essentially an overload of the bone and an overload of the plantar plate, it, it just needs to be deloaded. It needs to settle down mm. and heal. So all I, it, it's not really, I didn't look at it as something that I needed to rehab. I, it looked at it as something I needed to help settle down. Yeah. So my view was, I'm going to support this thing as much as I can, you know, for as long as it takes for it to settle down. Yeah. Whereas if say we had you and me both know if, if I had an Achilles issue, sure. Maybe you let it settle for two or three days, but then you've got to start rehabbing that thing. Whereas this was like, you, like there's not much rehab to do. You just got to let this thing settle. And as yeah. it's settled, I've been able to run more. And I like how this, these, like your, your story and my, my foot story, which I'll eventually get to is, um, different in a way because I was struggling to try and work out whether it is a protect and offload or whether it's more of an active rehab approach. And um, yeah, like you're saying, if it's more of like a 
structural, let's just say it's a plantar plate tear or something, you definitely need to offload something like that. If it's bony stress, you definitely need to offload that because any little loading is just going to irritate and flare things up and you're sort of honing in suspecting it's a little bit of both of those, that bony stress and the, the plantar plate overuse. And so um, hence why you've made the decision go through that and then get into that protection phase and then slowly start to introduce more and more loading and then paying attention to symptoms throughout. You were not going to make the um, the incorrect decision like you did at the start to say, oh, there's a bit of foot pain there. Let me just keep running through it. Oh, yeah, it's definitely there. Let me just keep running. Yeah, it's definitely sore now. Yeah, now I'm definitely running. Now I'm hobbling. Now I'm limping, but I have got a couple of Ks to go. So definitely not following that trend and just paying attention to symptoms and paying attention to what's successfully negotiated what sort of dosage is really um, not flaring things up and then just systematically just building up from there. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, 100%. I think it's definitely the approach you want, yeah. Let me dive into mine because mine's a little bit trickier and it's not as severe. This is the bad thing because it's not as severe, but it's just lingered and it's just been extremely, um, yeah, troublesome. So, I was talking on my podcast um, a couple of episodes mentioning that I wanted to change up my running, change up my variety or something, and definitely not doing anywhere near the mileage that you're um, previously was doing, but decided to try and do a fast 5k, like get a 5k PB or something, or run a, um, a sub 20 minute 5k would be really nice for me and something I haven't done for say 12 months. And so I want to get back into that and start doing a little bit of speed work um, then noticed, um, so I was doing that for a couple of weeks and sort of sharing my experiences on the podcast and then noticed, um, there was one day where I, um, started doing single leg calf raises normal within my regular routine, but decided to increase the weight on my single leg calf raises. And the next day was when I very first started noticing this four foot pain and would be dissimilar to yours where you're, you were sort of feeling it underneath your foot. Mine was kind of on the top of my foot or kind of in the middle. So somewhere between the, the top and the the base of the foot, like, and it was right around the, the fifth or fourth um, metatarsal. So stress fracture kind of area. And so it's closer to, I guess, the little toe. And I was straight away, as soon as you got four foot pain, you're thinking, oh, here it is. Here's a stress fracture. Um, I've never had a stress fracture before, but that's where your fears go. Um, But had to struggle to think, okay, I have increased the speed in the past and I don't wear very supportive shoes. I wear very light, flimsy shoes. So the feet are subject to a lot of load. But So I've increased my speed, but I've also just done these calf raises that I increase the weight on. And sometimes when I do these calf raises, I do it with a bent knee to work more soleus muscle. And sometimes you rotate like, because it's quite heavy weight to hold on one side and hold on to like the wall or a pole on my other, with my other hand. And you sometimes get a little bit of twisting, like when you, when you go up into a calf raise. So maybe I've tweaked something that's only just become apparent the next day. So the management would be so different depending on which one caused that issue um, that I decided just to see how things go. So knowing the principles that I teach in my podcast, like you don't necessarily need to run pain-free pain doesn't need to be zero, but I thought I'd go for a run and see how things went. So I did rest for two days, three days, and then 
um, pain went down very mild to like a one out of 10 when I was walking around in, in the mornings would be when it was most noticeable, but still a one out of 10. Um, and did notice that barefoot walking was worse than wearing shoes, but tried like running for four or five Ks, did a slow run, um, noticed a little bit of pain, maybe like a two out of 10 pain while I was running. Um, and then the mornings were no worse. And so I'm like, oh, so maybe that's okay. Maybe I can continue running with a little bit of pain during a run and then just like a one out of 10 pain the next day. And then let me just see if it just resolves on its own. If I just can, don't increase my mileage, just keep everything totally consistent and then see if it just settles. Um, did that for two weeks and pain just stayed at a one out of 10, which is extremely frustrating because <laughs> it's not going away, but it's like not getting worse and returned to doing single leg calf raises while it was at this one out of 10 pain. I went at like 70% of the weight that irritated it. Um, so backed off considerably, but then the next day my symptoms were obviously worse. I'm like, Oh, maybe it was the calf raises initially. That was it. And so I just started systematically, um, going through a few things. I also did, I remember the next week as well, I did skipping and I did box jumps in this one workout and that was a significant flare up. So I'm like, okay, I'm not tolerating like load. Um, so I decided to rest um, and just realize, I don't know if you've realized this when you're injured, but you go like week by week and you're trying to sort out symptoms. You're trying to sort out how you can manage it. And then all of a sudden you've had this injury for six weeks and it just looks like it flew by and you're like, you know, you expect it to get better in like one to two weeks, but then all of a sudden six weeks later, you're like, shit, this isn't getting better. Um, so I decided because it's been six weeks and it's still a one or a two out of 10, it's not getting any better. Might as well just go for an MRI just in case there's some bony stress or something going on. And not recommended a lot, but I do recommend that if you try something and um, it's still not getting better, then maybe just suss it out and see. Because if there is bony stress, then I just need to offload it and rest it for weeks and weeks. So that's what I decided to do. So what was really disappointing is when I booked in for the MRI, um, the uh, waiting list was three weeks. And so I'm like, okay, so let me treat this right now like it is a stress fracture until I get the scan, which meant no running, which meant I was just wearing um, protective shoes, walking around. I limited my standing still, limited my walking and yeah, just wore protective shoes until the MRI um, appointment. And so wasn't too happy about it, but decided to do it anyway, uh, which would make, I guess, my feet and things like a lot weaker. And pain stayed exactly the same throughout those three weeks. So I'm like, oh God, um, but got the MRI and it came back and there wasn't any bone reaction. There wasn't any like previous signs of a stress fracture. It just showed um, soft tissue edema is what it said. They also commented that I had mild osteoarthritis in my big toes. And I'm like, that's nowhere near where the, um, the referral says to look, but they just commented on that. But anyway, um, so then I had a plan. I'm like, okay, if there was, um, it's, there's no sign of bony stress There's soft tissue edema, which might be like muscular, which might mean there's like maybe a strain or there's something going on there, but I can start loading it. So I started doing, uh, isometrics. So I recognized my balance was 
extremely poor on that side and whether that was due to the injury or something, I'm not too sure, but I have a wobble board and started doing single leg balance work, wobble board work and doing calf raises. Like I do these double leg, um, double leg calf raises where I just like scrunch my toes just slightly and integrate like the, a little bit more of the intrinsic muscles. And even just like after a, two days of just working a lot of the intrinsic muscles on my feet, I felt a lot better. Like I was walking around pain-free and just took it yeah. as a sign that things are, are working, things are um, happening. And my balance was getting better after a week or so. Then transitioned from that to weighted, like heavier double leg calf raises doing them a little bit quicker and then just seeing how my feet reacted. Then once I was okay with that, I went to um, double leg, like jumping, like skipping. So I'd do like four lots of 100 skips and then to see the next day how it went. That was successful. So then um, did a week or so of skipping and then went to um, single leg, oh no, like jogging on the spot. So I've gone from jumping two legs because I know that can help dissipate a lot of the the foot pain just the fact just doing on double leg is takes a considerably a lot of load away from if you were to do single leg so did that for a week then went to skipping or just jogging on the spot i did five lots of one minute was really successful with that didn't do anything um didn't flare up any symptoms i was pain-free throughout that whole thing so then the next um sensible progression was just to start running so i started with like eight lots of one minute running 90 seconds, like rest. Um, I did that for one day, flared up a little bit. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, maybe I was, I was fine to jog on the spot for five lots of one minute, but maybe just transitioning into running might've been too much of a, a, um, a gap to kind of bridge across. So then took a couple of days off, went to, this was just like the start of last week, did six, six lots of running for one minute, resting for two minutes so longer rest period and i did it on grass and totally pain-free so um i'm like yep so i'm back to running intervals on grass pain-free and pain-free the next day um so then straight away the next day decided to run again but it was raining so i did some skipping um cross trained on the bike this is another thing like throughout this whole pain um issue I wasn't able to run, but I was able to do a lot of swimming and a lot of cycling and that didn't flare up anything. So I stayed fit and I think mentally it helped just being active instead of not running for, you know, six weeks. Um, but today, um, oh, yesterday I did eight lots of running for one minute, resting for two minutes, totally pain-free. Today I did 10 lots of running for one minute, resting for two minutes, no pain, no pain now. Um, I'll assume no pain tomorrow. And then I'll get into some more continuous stuff. So less breaks, but that was my long winded story and how I'm systematically going through step-by-step step and paying attention to symptoms along the way. Um, what do you think? <laughs> any, any yeah. comments? <laughs> yeah, I think that's like so interesting and you're right. Like so different, such different experiences of, of foot pain and what may have been the cause. Um, mm. I think ours is so different. Um, it's, it's really interesting to hear you say that you just deloaded it, deloaded it, deloaded it, and did not get any better. And you tried like loading it up, activating, switching things on and trying to use your foot. Uh, and then you got better. Like, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. That's, I think, fantastic. And that's, that's a stark difference to mine. If I tried to load mine up in any way, it's just instantly painful. So I think that's yeah. really cool that you're able to like 
see that and then lean into that a little bit. Um, I, I think it is, this is something I've seen a few times. Um, people who do have, you know, you're not old, so I'm not thinking your arthritis is terribly bad, but people who do get arthritic toes, arthritic big toes, which is pretty common, definitely tends to avoid the big toe and then use the other toes. So you see it all the time. Someone might do, say, like a car phrase, and they'll push up, they'll push up like away from their big toes, and they'll put all the load onto their fourth and fifth toes. Uh, I just wonder, I, like straight away, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, I want to see you car phrase. I want to see mm-hmm. you car phrase on a force plate. Because I wonder if that's just subtly where you try and put the load through your feet, just to avoid a slightly stiff big toe. Maybe that would be really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Knowing that you also, knowing that you also wear quite minimal footwear, so offering no protection to your big toes. So if your big toes sitting there with some early arthritis and you're not protecting it at all, are you then just going to load up the outside of your foot? And then maybe that's triggered some, you know, bursitis or soft tissue swelling or whatever it might be. Mm. It's that's an interesting where my thought. Mind went straight away. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, I guess what's similar in both of these presentations is like, you've tried, like in the early days, you try certain things and find out what works and what doesn't work. Like you said, you know, barefoot walking was the worst. Walking uphill, obviously, aggravated symptoms. So then you've avoided those. And um, once you learn what the aggravation symptoms are, then you can start planning some sort of management. And like me, I was testing and tweaking a whole bunch of different things and trying to find what works. And unfortunately, it just took, I tried a whole bunch of different things and everything stayed consistent for the first like six weeks. I was getting this like very mild symptoms. Um, you know, I, I could, I could tell that if I overdid things, like if I did those box jumps, that would flare things up. But for a long time, I couldn't get it to zero. I could just get it to yeah. one and keep it to stay at a one out of 10, which was, um, which was, yeah, frustrating. But I guess now where I'm at with the skipping and the the running and slowly loading things back up, it's the same as your, what your um, approach is now. It's just, seeing what I can tolerate and seeing how symptoms are afterwards and just learning along the way. And you're, you seem to be systematically going through that as well. Uh, the same similar kind of process. That I guess I am. Would you agree? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's, it's all, everything you do, you, you, you put some load in and then you see how you respond to it. And then that's more information that you have about the situation. And you always have to be redoing that and checking in. The mm. interesting thing is for both of us, neither of us have had a real concrete diagnosis, but the management doesn't, the management doesn't care about diagnosis. The management cares about, um, well, I should say, sorry, once you've ruled out the nasty stuff, you ruled out a stress mm. fracture, ruled out, ruled out a rupture, then the management doesn't care what the diagnosis is. The manage care, management cares what load you put on your foot and how do you respond to that? And that's what we've both been doing. Yeah. And I think for you, if I think about a calf raise, a box jump, skipping that's all loading up through the front of your forefoot yeah and and i'm like man i really want to see if if that big toe is a you know 10 percent stiffer than the other one are you just like shifting your weight 10 percent mm. more to the outside of your foot is that going on for you but but hearing your all your symptoms and i, I know that you're someone who loves a slightly more minimal shoe he's like just because this has been going on and on and on and on I'd, I'd say just trial a shoe that's, that has two things. It's a bit stiffer at the forefoot and it has a bit more to the forefoot. So I think it'll feel different and weird for you because that's not what you're used to. But I think that mm. will obviously deload your forefoot and allow you to do a bit more stuff on it. Maybe I should invest in some hockers. <laughs> if you want to send me, you can get like a 10% referral fee or something. 
Um, I, I, but, should, I should be sponsored by him. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I should mention as well. So I have two types of running shoes. I have my minimalist ones and then I have like a standard running shoe, um, which I, the standard running shoe offers a lot more support than my minimalist ones, but they're the supportive shoes are the ones I have been running in for the last week or two. And I guess if I was just to say, theoretically, if I was to build up to running five Ks in these traditional shoes, when I go back to my minimal shoes, I'll take a considerable back step in mileage and then slowly build my way up. Similar to what you've done with your um, transitioning out of the hockers. Um, Just, just makes sense. Just trying to see what load it can tolerate. Because I do know that as soon as I go to minimalist shoes, the the forefoot requirements are going to be impacted significantly. Exactly. And and it's that reason that why wouldn't you just get a shoe that has a bit more protection for you so you can run more whilst it's rehabbing, whilst it's settling down. Yeah. Can I ask, what are your traditional shoes? What are they? Uh, So my traditional shoes, they're still Innovates. I don't know what the actual brand is. I'll actually show you one sec. Yeah, let's have a look. I am. I'm a bit of a so I've got these here. Geek. I, I um, sold running shoes for like three years. <laughs> Road Claw two seven five is my. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. That's the yep. one I wear, and my <clears throat> minimalist ones are the still innovates, but they're like lightweight. Um, I think is they're that lightweight. The something. It's bare light. Um, I think one fifty something like that. So even those Road Claws, which you just showed me. I, like I know those shoes and the forefoot on that shoe is so flexible, mm. um, which just won't, it, it is, it's closer to traditional, but it's still innovate, which is still not very traditional. Yeah. <laughs> so you're still exposing your forefoot to so much load through that. I yep. like if you, so if you were sitting in front of me being like, Hey man, I just want to like run more right now. I'd be like, cool, go to the shop, buy hockers, like simple as that. But if you're willing to like go through the process and take a bit of time, you probably don't need to. And that's where footwear comes into these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, which brings me to the last point. I don't know if you've prepared anything, but um, I asked to sort of put together three tips to help people with four foot pain. Um, you're nodding your head. Yeah. So you've done your homework. Great. Um, <laughs> I've put together three as well. Maybe we just rattle them off one by one just to help the listeners who want to learn more about four foot pain or if they do have four foot pain. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Just finishing off with some tips. Oh, I've got three. The number one is I think understand uh, like the structures involved or likely the structures involved. Mm-hmm. So basically, yeah, yeah, which will allow you to approach it more like Brody did or approach it more like I did because that will depend on what structures are involved. Um, and either that means either going and seeing a physiotherapist or getting an MRI. I think that's number one. Yeah, so accurate diagnosis. Well, not accurate diagnosis, but accurate kind of education around what a potential um, structure could be involved, whether it's like tendon, bone, muscle, and then you can sort of have guidelines in terms of how to manage it, would you say? Yeah, 100%, definitely. Like if you have a neuroma, you manage it completely differently to if it's mm. bone stress, completely differently to if it's soft tissue as well, yeah. whatever it might be. So yeah, and whether you might not have a specific diagnosis after a session, but at least you'll know what structures are involved and therefore, um, yeah, like you said, we'll have the correct steps on how to manage it. That's cool. Yeah, 100%, um, definitely. The first tip I have, we'll probably, there's probably going to be some crossover here, but 
especially with four foot pain, we've touched on a, a bit today, um, using footwear as almost like a tool, like you can head towards the support, but then you can also head towards the, the barefoot for strength. And so for my example, um, I know you said that these are still very flexible with their forefoot, but these are my best kind of protective shoes. So I've been wearing those as best I can for when I'm running. And when I had to, I guess, treat it as a stress fracture, I was wearing those quite considerably throughout the day. But now um, I'm wearing those only for running and I'm mainly choosing to walk around my house barefoot because I know that will strengthen my intrinsic muscles. So for the for the um, interim, while I'm not um, running in my minimalist shoes, I'm using the opportunity to walk around in bare feet because I know that if I spend the whole day walking around bare feet, it's not going to flare things up. It might actually make some um, of the muscles actually stronger. Um, so I guess finding out where you are in that spectrum, whether you should head more towards the support or more towards the strength, intrinsic strength kind of thing. Um, mm. It would be a really nice tip. Would you agree? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, they there was I don't know the details. I don't have the reference on me, but there was a study where they were looking at trying to strengthen the foot. And what they did is they took an MRI of a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of runners, and then for six months they got half those people to do specific foot strength training, and the other half they got them just to walk around barefoot or in minimal shoes. And then after six months they MRI'd all their feet again. And they, the, the size of the cross-sectional area of their foot muscles increase the same amount. So mm. if you do specific foot strength drills, you get the same gains if you just take your shoes off. So yep. I think that's super important. That's why you can use footwear as a, as a real tool. You can just wear minimal support. Um, but then maybe when you are going to be loading it up, like when you do go for that first 5K run, maybe put the more supportive shoes back on. Yeah, cool. What's the, um, the next tip that you have for us? Footwear. <laughs> yep cool um any anything you want to add uh no i just added <laughs> yeah i think the third thing for me is 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 the fact that you can usually do pretty much everything else except running you can usually cross train pretty well so mm. swimming and biking are almost definitely fine to do um maybe if you've got a more serious injury maybe not cycling but you can't anything where your feet stay plants on the ground. So um, I think understanding that will allow you to keep moving and keep active because a lot of the time, forefoot injuries don't just pop up and then they go away for, after a week or two. A lot of the time they do linger. So being able to cross train is super important. And yeah. So uh, can I ask, that is, yeah. um, when you had to take that one month off running, how did you go mentally? Did you have a cross training exercise alternative or did you just go insane? Oh no, I was fine. I I um I go to the gym two, three, sometimes four times a week. Um, so two of them are, are two group training sessions with people I enjoy spending time with, and one of them is me and a mate just go to the beach and throw a kettlebell around, and that was all fine on my foot. Um, I do a group swim once a week, and then I was jumping on my bike once a week. So I was fine. I, I was actually great. Um, mm. What I realised pretty quick though is. I couldn't do any exercises where my toes are bent up, which wouldn't surprise anyone. So take a, a lunge, for example, when you lunge, your, your back foot is, is bent up and you're, you're bending your toes. So I could not do that, but I could squat completely fine because when you squat, you feet you're just flat on the ground. So I had to modify what I did at the gym, but I was able to work so hard. I came out of that month off feeling really, really strong and feeling really great in myself. 
I'd still been exercising probably four or five times a week and I'd still been cycling and swimming and my cardio was not too bad. So the first, yeah, the first two, three weeks coming back, I was like, oh, running fitness isn't there. But yeah, it's fine. But cross training was huge for me because it's not like, oh, you're injured, take a month off. It's like you're injured, just do other stuff. Yeah, which is why I love having those other options. Like I said, I did a lot of cycling. I do my strength work as well and almost took it like an opportunity to let me get really strong because a lot of runners, yeah. when they're running four times a week, they don't really prioritize strength training. But now's a good opportunity to do so. And um, yeah, if you have those alternatives, if you do cycle or swim or cross train in other forms, actually helps your recovery, helps you mentally throughout that process because those who only have running as an outlet to let off steam, you know, mentally unwind and get those endorphins. If running's all you have and then you have a stress fracture of your foot, you're going to have a really bad time and you're really going to struggle with your management recovery and you're most likely going to return too soon or return too quickly, um, too drastically and then yeah, it's never a really, um, it's, the outlook is never really that good unless um, you have, you're really diligent, really patient, which sometimes if running's your only outlet, people don't tend to be that patient. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent. I, when I was injured with my foot, I hit my personal best for a squat. I squatted a hundred kilos for the first time. So I, I came out of this injury feeling strong. And then yeah, yesterday I just did a huge trail run with heaps of hills. And I felt good. Like I felt strong on those heels. I was giving up and down and faster than everyone else. Even though I'd had a month off running, I came back from that feeling really good. Whereas if I just did nothing for a month, 40 days of heels would have crashed me. So yeah, chalk and cheese. Unreal. Um, So my next tip was, I guess, consider ruling out a stress fracture if like you're if you're not responding to good management and I say good management, like you're following your health professional and like you're um, following a a management plan, still not getting better um, and you're still continuing to load it, um, then you might want to investigate stress fractures. I think um, on average, I know it's the stats um, horrendous, but I think it's like six months uh, in total until like an accurate stress fracture diagnosis is made pretty much because in the early days, um, it's often ignored and it comes on like really discreetly. And then it's not until it's like really, really bad. Then they get scans and the stress fractures way too um, severe that you do need like a cast or crutches or something like the management's really a lot more severe because you've identified and picked up way too late. Um, and that's with health professionals as well. Like the early days of a stress fracture doesn't usually get picked up really quickly unless someone's really onto it, unless you get to a really, um, good health professional, but yeah, often mismanaged for months and months and months until an accurate, accurate diagnosis is made. So look, if it's four to six weeks and you're not um, responding and it's still not getting better, maybe it's like worth just ruling it out. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. I always, I always try and move away from imaging in the first, you know, couple of weeks unless i'm like pretty hell-bent on this sounds like bone stress then i'm like mm. get that image straight away but usually i try and say oh, let's just give this like two three weeks and like let you know, do the right stuff now let it settle and if it responds well and very good but if it's yeah it's been two three weeks and it's not responding and there's a suspicion of any bony involvement you got to get that scan that's kind of how i go about that yeah and i say after having a good attempt of like good management you're not just 
disregarding everything that the the physio is saying and then like oh it's not getting better i should get scans um you know follow some advice have you you've gone through all your tips now haven't you yeah yeah okay cool because i've got i'll um lay on my third one so my third one would be like maybe for an individual who is having recurrent forefoot issues um potentially look at gait retraining because I do know if someone, let's just say, has a crossover pattern where their their step width is really narrow or they're crossing over their midline to make contact, that puts a lot of compression on the forefoot. Um, or it, like, let's say if they are, say, a forefoot striker of the ground and they have a crossover pattern, maybe there's some gait retraining that we can do for that individual. And we do know those who are susceptible to stress fractures, like forefoot stress fractures do have a harder footfall when they run they kind of strike the ground harder which can be um, fixed with or like some gait retraining can help with that maybe some cadence issues um but it's not for everyone like i said it has to tailor to the individual if they are and like maybe just one um episode of four foot pain might not warrant gait retraining but if you're currently having or if you're having multiple episodes of different type of forefoot injuries then maybe um gait retraining might be something that you can explore what do you think yeah i think so definitely i i think if you have access to someone nearby who is a good health professional i think you know if you do have one one episode of forefoot pain it could it could be worth gait retraining anyway just to see if there's something there but certainly if it if it is recurrent then man there's got to be something else going on um for sure, definitely, without a doubt in the world. I, I, I look at every runner run. Always. Yeah, nice. Um, and maybe if like they look at, if you look at their running and they are, <clears throat> there's nothing necessarily you need to change. Maybe just look at their training habits. Maybe look at their, yeah. the terrain that they're doing. Maybe they've, <clears throat> they're not too familiar. The, they might think they are not doing too much too soon, but they actually probably are. Maybe they're making abrupt changes yeah. in their training. Maybe their shoe type, maybe they're, um, they're making too much transition to running on roads or something like that, um, which impacts the the forefoot. Um, so yeah, just having a, a more detailed look at how their their training um, structure is going. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing which is worth touching on is bone health because you can like a lot of the time you do get bone stress related pain in the in the forefoot, and if you're having recurrent bone stress related pain, then it's it's very very important to look into that. So that's, we're talking about getting, getting some bloods done and going to a dietitian or nutritionist, no dietitian, I always get those confused. Um, and, and looking at they're going into your bone health. That's pretty important if you get multiple cases of this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well said. Um, I just had like a fourth little tip, which I touched on at the start as well. If you're getting like pain at the top of your foot, just look at how you're lacing up your shoes because it might be a new shoe. You might be doing things too tight. Um, or the toe box at the front of the shoe might just be too small. Um, so maybe something to investigate, maybe just a real easy change um, and then just taking yeah. it from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, have you looked at that, Brody? Maybe you've just been tying your shoes wrong the whole time. Well, my, both of my <laughs> shoes have a very large toe box, so I, I don't think that would necessarily be the case. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, Pat, let's finish up because I know you need to get out of here. Um, your podcast that's running is probably like I listen to a lot of running podcasts and there's a lot of times guests come on and they 
they sound like they know what they're talking about. I'm not going to try and be too mean, but there's a lot of flash buzzwords that people like using and have a lot of like non-evidence based sort of advice. But as soon as I listen to your podcast, your yours is one of the few podcasts that everything you say, you're like, yes, they're spot on. They know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's actually like um, very similar. We seem to have very similar um mythologies like around what we think like the topics the research that we've done the knowledge that we have and um yeah there's maybe it's like we're just within an echo chamber but you know there's the the podcast whenever i listen to your episodes i'm like yep spot on and so it happens very rarely when i listen to podcasts so um if anyone wants to listen it's that's running i guess you can find it anywhere you find um your podcasts yeah. Yep. So thanks, um, Brady. That, that's a very, very big pat on the back. <laughs> that's okay. I'll add the, the links in the show notes as well. I think that's running on Instagram and Facebook as well. You can find yep. those. Um, pat, yep. thanks for coming on sharing your story. Brady, you're a legend. I always love chatting to you. So, so thank you very much for having me. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs and eBooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.